OnPay is an easy-to-use, full-service payroll and HR app that is the right fit for all your clients, whether they have just one or 500 employees, to stay organized, save time, and get compliant. If you're wondering why OnPay is so great, it's because it was built by payroll experts with over 30 years of payroll experience and has the most robust and customizable QuickBooks Online and Zero integrations of any payroll provider. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, OnPay, later in the episode. So how can the AICPA claim to represent all accountants and all CPAs when the pricing of their event, which is a wonderful event, it's beautiful and everything like that, but the way they set it up, the pricing is exclusionary. It excludes anybody who can't afford that multi-thousand dollar expense. It makes me wonder, like, is, is the AICPA's goal to cast a wide net and to be an association for all CPAs? Or is it really just for the folks who can afford it at the top? Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio, this is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Blake, I just saw you. Yeah, we saw each other in person in Las Vegas at AICPA Engage. Yes, which I think... uh, I don't want to cover AICPA Engage. Um, Why not? I'll acknowledge that we were there. Well, it's a little difficult. So we consider ourselves press. I mean, we are a top all-time business news podcast. Yes, I would top, say that. top 50 business news podcast um, we for have, many years. We, I think neither one of us have real jobs right now. Like the podcast is it. That's our uh, source yeah. of income at this point in, in, yeah. a, in a way. We make we make a full-time living from this show. And, you know, quick Intuit or QuickBooks, Xero, um, Oracle, NetSuite, right? Sage, yep. Intact, yep. Uh, Accounting Web, who's a, who's actually press, have all flown us into their events to cover them as press. And we cover the events. Yes. And, uh, and we get media passes. Yes. Which means that we get free tickets to the event. We get sometimes special access to executives to interview we, them. Interviews. You, like, you get you get to go to the press dinner. You get front row <laughs> seats at the keynotes. You get yeah. you get really taken care of as press. And then in exchange, you know, we cover the event. We genuinely right. cover the event. So I asked, I, I didn't ask for flights or anything. I just asked for passes to engage, press passes. Yes. And, and I'll read you the response I got. Who is You're, this from? Um, I'm sorry, I pasted in the quote, but I did not. It's not anybody we know. It's just somebody that works. Somebody in so, somebody at in the machine AICPA. at the AICPA. Yes, somebody in yeah. the machine. Okay, right. So, your request for press passes for engage. We have a defined set of criteria for those. Dash. You have to be working press. Period. <laughs> I so, guess we're not working press. We're not working press. So then we won't cover anything engaged. So actually. Had to del- I actually, an accident marked a bunch of articles that I saw were out there, but they were all engaged coverage of front and other press media. So I've taken those out of my queue. We're not going to cover all that. <laughs> the only part I will cover is there's a lot of accountants and bookkeepers that are out there that were in, yeah. in apps that were having events outside of the AICPA event, either at hotels next door, pools next door, parties, bars. There's a whole sub-conference happening. And some part of me wonders, maybe next year we should have a cloud accounting conference podcast or cloud accounting podcast conference conference next door and we just run our own conference and competition <laughs> well yeah i mean so that was very disappointing we'd already booked travel we came to las vegas and it was fine we were going to see friends and see talk to vendors and and just see people around the conference anyway but yeah not to get media passes for this event it makes me wonder why, right? I mean, they know who we are, or maybe that's just my ego speaking. Maybe they really don't. Maybe that's the maybe, problem. That maybe that's the problem. Is <laughs> the AICPA has no idea. No, who the I think it is the problem. I think is. they know exactly who we are, and yeah. we're on a list. We're on a list of do not let come. But I think the main reason we ask is, I think previous years on the website you could register for just an expo and keynote only pass. They had some yeah. layer level of registration for that, and this year they really didn't have that. They only had like a bring your significant other type pass. Yeah. Or, and so 
that really didn't work either. And then they have the member, non-member pricing, but there's no real way to participate. And so that's why I requested a press pass, but like, yeah, we figured it out. I mean, I think, yeah, we, we all well, figured I, it I, out. I know together. you, I know you, you, you think we shouldn't cover the Engage conference because, you know, we weren't there as media. Out of which protest. Which to me is fair, out of protest, which is fair. But I, I do want to talk a bit about the AICPA and what, because, you know, this indicates something to me about them, about the AICPA. And this is the problem that I've had, the challenge that I have with the AICPA um, when I think about it. And that do is that, can that, I also just say, though, it's still a nice conference. It's very oh, well it's, ran. It's top notch. It's a very, very, yeah. very nice conference. It's also a very, very, very expensive conference to attend. Yes, that's true, too. And that's what I want to talk about, which is, and, and that's, I think, what made this sort of extra annoying, which is that if we'd wanted to go, a ticket to AICPA Engage for a non-member is $2,000. Now, that may not sound like a lot of money to some of our listeners who are used to paying that much for a conference, but you know, when you think about how other conferences are less than half that, it, it's pricey. And it's interesting to me that the premier conference for the AICPA, this is their biggest one, right? This is the conference to be at if you are an AICPA member, is also the most expensive conference you could probably go to as an accountant. And it it makes me wonder, like, is, is the AICPA's goal to cast a wide net and to be an association for all CPAs? Or is it really just for the folks who can afford it at the top? And I think if you want to be an organization that welcomes everybody, you need to understand a lot of CPAs are solo. They have small firms. And for them, spending $800 a year on an AICPA membership and then $1,700 for the ticket and then $1,000 on a hotel, that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, right? And so I think what happens is at these events, really the people that you get there are large firms, managing partners, practice leaders, and you don't see your average CPA. The accounting twins, they're not CPAs yet. They just graduated. Yeah. They got their degrees. They can afford to go to this. So how can the AICPA claim to represent all accountants and all CPAs when the pricing of their event, which is a wonderful event, it's beautiful and everything like that, but the way they set it up, the pricing is exclusionary. It excludes anybody who can't afford that multi-thousand dollar expense, which again, if you're most CPAs, you know, most CPAs aren't making half a million dollars a year like many partners. They're making, maybe they're making closer to six figures and that's a lot of money to put down on a single conference. So I, I would say like if, if I were in charge of the AICPA, I'd be trying to make it, you know, maybe maybe bring down the price a little bit. Maybe you don't need to have it at one of the more expensive hotels in Las Vegas. Maybe there's ways to, you know, have a have a lower ticket price. You know, like that's that's my that's my challenge with the AICPA. Now, hey, look, to be fair, I'm also a little, you know, bent out of shape or hurt that they didn't want us as media. But that's another thing. It's it's like if you disagree with the top down messaging of the AICPA, if you have a different point of view, which we do, like I talk a lot about how I think the 150 hour requirement for becoming a CPA is exclusionary, it's discriminatory, and it is limiting our profession and is hurting uh, recruitment. Like they, they don't like that, right? Because the AICPA is one is way in on that. They had they are saying hold the line on the 150 hour requirement. I think I saw that was tweeted out, so there wasn't a keynote. They want to yeah, hold the right. line on that, and it's like, well, I almost want to give up, you know, on that. Like on the, like it makes me, this sort of experience makes me want to give up on the CPA. I worked really hard to get it. But when I see the leaders of our profession, you know, saying stuff like that, and like they're talking about how we need to innovate and audit, but what's the innovation that's happening? There's no innovation happening, right? It's all words. It's words and no action in a lot of cases. It's, it's lip service. And actually, David, we don't even really have to, we don't, we don't even have to boycott coverage of the event because when you read the articles that came out of the event, like what new came out of the event? Did you see anything new? Anything like life-changing? Anything that's going to change our profession majorly that came no, out of the event? No, I mean, event? we probably could compare those to the previous year's announcements and 
you know, it's the same stuff every year, right? It does feel very, if it, yeah, it's kind of the same stuff, the same topics. Over same every stuff. Year. But every year. Well, the one thing, the one thing that came out was there was like coverage of CAS, you know, how client accounting services or just what I like to call accounting is growing like crazy. But yeah, not much else. I mean, yeah, you think there would be a pre, uh, you think there would be a, I'm not a CPA yet track. Right, if you really want to expand the membership at the lower levels, right, there'd be a way for, and they might have some student pricing. I can't seem to find it on the website, but like I didn't see, didn't seem like any students or young people are around, right? Yeah, In you general. don't see staff. You don't. I don't really see staff. Like, there's no staff that go to these events, and and this too, it perpetuates this whole model, right? The business model of accounting, which is you have partners and you have staff, and there's this class divide between them, and. This this whole model perpetuates that, and I think that is going to go away. And I think we will be better off as a profession for it when when we don't have that hierarchy, that distinction. Like, so the ICB talks about inclusion. This word inclusion. Everybody loves inclusion and diversity, right? right. And and I think one thing I've learned over the last day, like diversity, sometimes just means diversity in thought, right? But if you you're building this conference that's not inclusive because it's cost prohibitive. Right. Yeah. It's hard to register in general. Right. There's a lot of constraints around this. Like maybe the goal of the ACPA to be truly diverse and inclusive, they should figure out how to do this conference for a third of the price, but they have 10,000 people attend. Yeah. You could have a lot more people attend if you did and, and do it for less. More people attend, make the same amount of money. Right. I mean, maybe you don't do it at the Aria. Right. Maybe you do it at a less expensive hotel. Or it has like, to be at the convention center or something like that. Okay. Yeah. But but, but, but at least could, this way you have this mo- you, and that would kind of be fun. Imagine if ten thousand accountants were there. Yeah, there should be. There's there's six hundred thousand, more than six hundred thousand licensed CPAs in the United States. And how many people go to engage? Right. About A few as thousand? many people listen to this podcast. Actually, less. Actually, yeah. <laughs> I think less people go to engage and listen to our podcast. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's my my feeling is like if it doesn't matter, you can pay lip service. You can pay lip service to diversity and inclusion and making a big tent, but unless if what you're doing is opposed to that, then you're not really doing it. Yeah, imagine if they had 20,000 people showing up. This is like a Salesforce, like a monstrous con- or conference. It could be. It should be, a, it should be. And, and, the, and the AICPA is supposedly an organization that promotes all accounting, not just CPAs, right? It's, it's for all accountants. And there's millions of accountants in the United States. So I would like to see it become bigger, become less expensive, become more inclusive, you know. And plus, this is not just, you know, because they partner right, with like CPA Canada and they partner with, right? So this is not even just U.S. accountants that are showing up to this thing. You know, some of them are coming globally as well. Anyways, I, I did see the uh, the expo floor was probably double the size of last year. They had a lot of apps showed up. Booths were nice. There was a lot of uh, variants in the different types of apps that were there. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Cinder. Tax season is over, which means you can focus on growing your business rather than hustling to handle the clients you've already got. But how do you add new clients when you're already so busy? That's easy with Cinder. With Cinder, you can automate mundane tasks like reconciliation and categorization and instead spend more time on strategy. Thanks to Cinder's new e-commerce insights, you become a trusted advisor to your clients, not just a data entry clerk. Give them important tools to know their numbers and make the right decisions to grow their business. Over 2,000 CPAs are already future-proofing their business with Cinder as their secret solution. Ready to join them? To book your free demo, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash cinder. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash S-Y-N-D-E-R. So, so just to contrast this. Yeah. So I, I tweeted out a video that was sent to me. Um, it was sent to me by somebody I think was still at. Scott Scarano tweet, uh, texted it to me. I think at the time he might have still been at in Vegas at I don't know why I say he was at the AICPA engagement, but he was definitely there in the area, right? I don't know if you saw this video that I tweeted out. It's from a com- uh, an accounting firm called Easier Accounting. And, <laughs> and based on my understanding is they are not CPAs. They made a video that has now 300, let's see, 345,000 views. They released this video on June 2nd. 
Their previous videos they've ever released for their accounting firm, like, let me explain, uh, cash basis accounting versus accrual basis accounting, have views on YouTube of like 33, right? Like literally they didn't exist from a social media standpoint. They made a commercial that says, be great, be American. And we'll put in the show notes and I'm not even sure like it would play well to play the audio, but people should go find it on my Twitter, go to the show notes and look at this video. It is about as American as you can get. They got flamethrowers. They got grenades, throwing grenades at a car that says taxes. They got water skiing. They got, they're throwing a height challenge person into a cornhole bucket thing. They have speed boats. It's a, it's super, super over the top. Yeah. But 300,000 views. It's like almost the opposite of the event we just went to. Like it's as far opposite as you could get. It's a disturbing commercial. Obviously, they're going for a niche. Yeah. Well, that was on uh, June 2nd, 2022, that they published this ad. It's like a minute and 30 seconds. It's kind of uh, <laughs> kind of depressing, honestly. Because it's so it's, 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 it goes so over the line. I mean, we're going to have to play a little bit of this audio here. Have you ever had a midget wash your balls? It goes so over the line where, like, one of the firm owners, like, runs down protesters with a truck. Yeah, like it, it's not. It's, it's it's messed up. And and, and then you wonder why, you know. So after the last school shooting, I, was, I deep dived on like IRS and guns and taxes and guns, and I kind of poked around. And I found these articles about the IRS. Do you know the IRS has like bulletproof vest, night vision goggles, AR-15s? The IRS currently right now has five hundred thousand rounds of ammunition stored. Mm-hmm. Then you wonder why, because these guys are out there pumping commercials with them. They're shooting up guns and they're shooting off AR-15s. Don't Mm. about, we're going to save you tax money. Don't let, you know, your hardworking Americans don't take the taxes. Like it's like, then you wonder why the IRS has to prepare because you know, they're going to have a conflict one day when they go to enforce maybe these guys as clients and they're going to have to go and, you know, audit them one day. They they should be scared to go audit these guys as clients based on who they're targeting with their ad. Yeah, Um, maybe. And then it's like, is the IRS, since they're not CPAs, they're not members of the ICBA, like who can crack down on this? Could the IRS crack down on this? Like, I doubt it. Is it even possible? Does it even matter? No. It's shocking though. It's, it's a little bit of a shocking commercial. Well, David- It worked um, though, 350,000 views. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. I guess, I guess uh, it sells, perhaps. So well, it's that David, lowest common denominator. You appeal to the lowest common denominator, it sells. So- one of the big stories that we've been covering over the last week or two has been Ernst & Young talking about splitting off their audit practice from their consulting practice. And now there's a story in the Wall Street Journal about how Deloitte is considering doing the same. Now, Deloitte has denied this, but it's according to people familiar with the matter, rumors, that sort of thing. And we kind of, last week when we talked about this, this was some of the prediction being made that this is going to cause a domino, right? Yeah. And then a week later, Wall Street Journal's already breaking some new news about Deloitte. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm not really an expert on the big four. Neither are you, David. It's not our world. Fortunately, Caleb Newquist, friend of the show and former Going Concern editor, ex-big four auditor himself, and covered them for many years, has offered to come on and talk about it with us. So let's get him on the line. Caleb, great to talk to you. Great to be here, guys. You were the erstwhile editor of Going Concern. I am. In- I am the erstwhile hey, editor. Did yeah. you repeat that word? Erstwhile. erstwhile. And that's not my word. That's Caleb's word. That's that my word. Him. And it- Spell that, please. <laughs> E-R-S-T-W-H-I-L-E. Okay. And, and I, I mostly use it because it irritates Greg. Greg Kite, your <laughs> co-host of the my co- Oh My Fraud podcast. Correct. And, and really, it just means that you are the former editor of Going Concern. Correct. Where you covered the big four. I did, relentlessly. Relentlessly, for years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how many years was it? Just about nine. Wow. Yeah, from 09 until mid-2018. So you are the perfect person then to talk to about this story. I mean, I'm a good person. I don't know if I'm the perfect person, <laughs> but I'm. I should be on. I should be on the short list. Yeah. 
So on our last episode, we talked about how EY is, mm-hmm. EY, Ernst & Young is potentially splitting off their audit function into a separate entity and consulting is going to go off on its own. Yep. Now there's some overlap. Some stuff is going to stay in audit entity. Some stuff will go, but like basically it's a, it's a big deal, right? The idea of this happening. And now we have the new news of Deloitte potentially following suit also splitting off audit. Yep. But But they denied it. Oh, they denied it. They denied it. In in the Wall Street Journal article, they, they, they said they are committed to their, to their business model. So what's going on here, Caleb? At least for EY, they've had a lot of nasty scandals, like the Wirecard being the most prominent one, I think. And some people have argued that they could just drop the Germany firm. PwC did this years ago in Japan. They dropped the member firm in Japan got a new firm and started fresh. Arguably, EY could do the same thing. But if you if you read that article, the chairman of EY basically said, there's enough pressure where this is a serious option now. And in general, there's just pressure. There's been pressure for 20 plus years, you know, ever since Sarbanes-Oxley. Deloitte, in the wake of the late 90s, early 2000s, every firm spun off their consulting arm at that time with the exception of Deloitte. And so now here's Deloitte, biggest firm in the world, 50 billion in revenue. And consulting is growing like gangbusters. And audit is just the slow and steady business it's always been. They must see some benefit to just unshackling the two businesses from each other but also the pressure from because the SEC is starting to do, has announced that it's doing probes into the conflicts of interest, and so maybe they think this time the timing's right and the situations and circumstances are right to do to to spin off the audit business and let consulting go one way, go audit go the other, and they're both viable businesses. So why not make a lot of money for the audit partners? Maybe to, you know to to let them be off on their own. I mean, I think that's the kicker is that. However, they do the transaction, right? For EY or Deloitte, there has to, it has to be valuable enough to make it worth the audit partner's while. Otherwise, they probably won't vote to approve the deal. Right. So there's a lot of money to be made. There's a lot of regulatory pressure. And I don't know. Timing feels good. You said this is something that's happened before. After yes. and and this it was kind of before my time in accounting, but this was after what Enron collapse of Enron and well it's 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 almost before my time in accounting too so like I don't remember the timing of all this stuff but like for example EY EY spun off their old consulting arm I think in 2000 and it became it was acquired by Cap Gemini which is a French company and they spun it off for like 10 or 11 billion and at that time there's there was again all, all kinds of pressure because of the conflicts of interest between audit and consulting and you know, consul- again, at the same time, consulting was growing like crazy. Auditing is you know the legacy business, and so the consultants are all mad because they can't do certain you know deals because of the conflicts of interest. And so there was enough pressure, I think, externally and internally that they decided to spin off the firm. KPMG did it. There's the, their consulting arm became Bearing Point, which I believe went then later went bankrupt, and then. PwC's business got sold to IBM, I believe. Somebody's going to have to check me on all this. But I, I, my, if memory serves, they sold their business to IBM. But Deloitte stuck to their guns. They didn't spin off their business and they kept it. And that is probably why they're the biggest firm today is they mm-hmm. held on to that stuff. And it's just been compounding over the last 20 years. But yeah, we've all been through this before. And if you read Francine McKenna's newsletter, The Dig, it's on Substack. You know, she's written about this. She written about the. She wrote about this recently, too. Is that you know everything old is new again, and so, you know, the circumstances are a little bit different. The frauds are different. The leaders at the firms are different, but it's just the same old thing. Consulting, big booming business, and and audit is just the legacy business, and there's pressure both internally and externally. And so, but this time it seems a little bit different, at least for Deloitte, it seems different if they decide to do it. So it's cyclical, right? The the firms totally. get big enough, they become targets for the regulators with these conflicts of interest. And then to 
get ahead of those regulatory efforts, they break themselves up. Yeah. And then it all starts again. Kind of. Right? Because the, the, the consulting can just grow again. There's no nothing to prevent it from happening. And the audit partners have these relationships that are perfect for building consulting on top of. Yeah. And I would just like to point out, I mean, we've talked about conflicts of interest, but nobody really, like the ind- the question of auditor independence, nobody gives a shit, right? Nobody cares about auditor independence and all this. It's it's like, it's, it's kind of the albatross that just kind of hangs on these firms, right? It's something they have to manage around. And so your point about like, you know, if they keep some of the non-audit business in the audit firm, they're just inevitably going to grow those parts of the businesses again. And like you say, it's cyclical. Whereas I've written a couple of times, it's like, just do an audit, just do a purely audit firm and nothing else. The business is worth like a big four audit business is worth 10, $12 billion. That's a good business. It's business <laughs> that's a lot yeah. of money. That's right. a lot of money. So, so you could have your, you, you could still have in-house tax folks. You could still have in-house valuation folks, you know, finance experts, whatever, but they're purely to service the audit business and they don't have outside clients. Like they'd be internal experts versus external client facing right. ones. Yeah. And so you could retain all those people, but you just wouldn't have revenue streams. Right. Yeah. And so I don't know why, I mean, if people cared about independence, I think that's what they would do is that they would, they would just have an audit only firm, but they don't really care about it that much. They're yeah. just trying to release the, They're just trying to release the pressure for a while, you know, 10 or 20, 30 years, and then we'll be back here again, probably. I always wondered why we don't have just pure audit firms. Like, why, right. why, why wouldn't we as a economy, as a society, want to have people who really can't have a conflict of interest the way they can now? Like, it just seems so obvious to me. But like you said, maybe it's just because nobody really cares. The, the branding seems like they're independent. Except- the, the words are used, right? Independent auditors. Like, but, <laughs> yeah. So the branding well, is there. Everybody thinks they're independent, but they're really rolled up into these bigger Goliaths. Yeah. I mean, I think so. It's interesting. The branding is something, again, that an audit only firm could really lean into, right? They, if, if you said, if you wanted to do an audit only firm and you leaned into this independent public service minded type of a firm, like this is what we do. We do independent audits and this is all we do. So that's why you should come to us because no conflicts of interest, no questions about those kinds of issues. Yeah, the the independence but, and the and the lack of conflicts is something that they could really use to their advantage. A firm like that could use to their advantage. So if, if it's an audit if anyone only cares. firm. If it's sorry, Blake, if it's an audit yeah. only firm, I'm gonna pick and choose maybe I pick and choose them to audit. But Unless it makes investors invest in my company, like if, if if nobody actually finds value in the audit, like how can they lean in that as a brand, right? Yeah, if the audit's just a check the box activity, which it seems like more and more that's the situation where you just shop around for the cheapest, easiest audit. I'm thinking if I'm an audit committee, right, why would I want to make my life harder? I'm just going to go find the auditor that's going to give me the easiest, cheapest audit. And then that's what's keeping audit fees down, right? Probably, like that, yeah. So, but then, what if? So, I guess th- I think the argument that I've made in the past is not only do you lean into the brand of the independence right. and the lack of conflicts, but then you, you know, maybe again, it would be a, it would be a, it, it'd be owned by the partners, right? So it's mm-hmm. unda- it's doubtful that there'd be outside investors, but you'd have you would hopefully well, I mean, investors of the company. So I'm Tesla. Yeah. Right? People are investing in Tesla because they think Tesla's going to grow. They're not investing because I have a good, nice set of books that have been audited. <laughs> yeah, that they have good books. <laughs> right? Right. Like, right? Like, ultimately. And well, so, some people do. I mean, so maybe that's the value prop for the auditors is like, hey, and we don't know, right? Because that experiment probably hasn't been done, but like, hey, there's this extra tough audit from company X and they really lean into their brand about how they're independent and et cetera. Do those companies have higher valuations that go, th- you know? I think you could, I think uh, uh, conceivably a firm could do that, right? Like that they decide that they, they devise a methodology that's more rigorous, right? Maybe they, maybe they make, um, representations with regard to fraud, 
potentially risky, but potentially very, very valuable also. So like Tesla is a good example. There's all these questions around Tesla's performance, right? And things that Elon Musk says versus what the actual, what the company actually produces. If a firm went in there, did the audit, did additional procedures that are forensic or a more uh, in-depth look at the books, yeah, they could charge more for it. They could make different representations in the audit opinion. They could. There's. It's. It seems like it's an area for an audit for, for an audit only firm to to innovate in a way that's never been done before and potentially bring additional value to investors because of the nature of the work. Well, and uh, Elon Musk related bit of idea is like Twitter. Uh, yeah. One of the sticking points right now with the whole Twitter acquisition is this fake accounts number. Right. How many Twitter accounts are real? And that would be something that an audit firm, a firm that really just focuses on audit and audit for the benefit of investors could come in and say, we'll do that. We'll, we'll audit this number. Why not? And, and provide assurance on it. And it's non-financial, but it's more important than anything in the financial statements to the investors, right. especially to somebody like Elon Musk. And, and like, if I just looked at Twitter, I'd say, yeah, that if the number of fake accounts is 20%, like he's claiming, not 5% like Twitter's claiming, like that's a big deal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you come with your team and you research that and determine it. And so you're still auditing, but again, you're, you're not auditing just the financial statements. And I guess not just the, the financials. Yeah. yeah. An audit-only firm... The, the the notion or the nature of assurance could take these different forms, but that's what the firm would do. And that's what they would focus on. And again, it seems like there's areas, you know, where they could innovate and, and do and do things that haven't been done before, but because of their expertise, because of the brand, because of the trust, right? PwC has trust solutions now, right? Those kinds of things could potentially be uh, extremely valuable. So, well, if this is history and we haven't, and you said this is going to repeat and this is the same discussion that happened 20 years ago, why hasn't anybody done this then? Why, why do we not see these audit firms? Excellent, qu- excellent question, David. I don't know. <laughs> because, because these firms are doing so well, they make so much money. Like they're doing just fine the way things are. I, it's an, it's inertia. Deloitte's making 40 billion a year. I mean, why rock the boat? Mm-hmm. You know? It's a lot of, it's a lot of money. And you know, they have what 30 or 40,000 partners. I mean, who knows? Like those partners do very well to just keep things going the way they are. Caleb, thank you so much for your time. We know you're a busy guy. You got to get going. Appreciate you offering your insight on this pertinent, relevant topic. Yeah. it's fun guys. Thanks. And before you jump off, Caleb, if people want to get a hold of you now, do they still get oh, yeah. concern? Like how do they get a hold of you? Uh, on Twitter is the easiest place at C Newquist. Perfect. Thanks, Caleb. Thanks, guys. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. As a small business owner, I've had my share of accounting, tax, bank feed, and app issues. Some could say I'm a mess, kind of like some of your clients. But as I reflect on the last three years of my business, the one app that I have not had any problems with is OnPay. It has been set it and forget it payroll. I quickly sign in each week, run payroll in minutes, maybe seconds, and I'm done. I get a perfect sync to QBO. I never think about payments or reports to government agencies because OnPay is doing it all for me. OnPay can do it all for your clients too. OnPay's partner program offers free payroll for your firm, discounts, a dedicated support team of in-house payroll experts who will do all the heavy lifting from setting up your dashboard to adding your clients and their employees. They'll even enter any prior wages to make it easy to switch. To learn more about switching your clients to the award-winning OnPay Payroll and HR, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash OnPay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-N-P-A-Y. OnPay, switch to better payroll. So obviously we just talked to Caleb about audit problems, right? Well, it didn't take very long, but uh, Cohen Resnick, is charged with improper auditing conduct by the SEC. Oh no! What so they do? More audit problems. So they charged um, they charged three of the partners on Wednesday with improper professional conduct on engagements with two clients in 2017. The two clients were Sequential Brands Group and a cryptocurrency business called Longfin Corp. Essentially, they um, with Sequential, it was an argument about goodwill, and despite. Cohn Resnick's national office and own firm owners 
expressing concerns about this. They basically just accepted what was provided by the client and just ran with it. So both of these mm-hmm. companies, though, have gone bankrupt and they, they misrepresented, misrepresented themselves in those bankruptcy proceedings or prior to that. And the Longfin one, which is the crypto one, they, uh, they failed to address known issues involving related par- third-party transactions that were employed by Longfin to fraudulently inflate its revenues. So they knew they were inflate, inflating the revenues and they didn't really address it properly. Now, the real takeaway here is the it's only a penalty of $1.9 million. And then the three partners, they basically got fined $30,000, $20,000, and another $30,000. I mean, you know, that hurts. But when you consider that these partners are probably making half a million dollars a year or more. Yeah. Like, is that really going to... And they can reapply for reinstatement after a few years and they've agreed. You know, they all they all agree that they have didn't do anything wrong. They didn't yeah. admit anything. Like, yeah, it's a little bit of a slap on the wrist in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, it's not just a little bit of a slap on the wrist. That's what it is, right? <laughs> that's that's your bonus. And it's crazy that like their own other partners, and that, that's, that's the interesting thing about this. If anybody at your own firm is questioning it, that probably means it's not legit, <laughs> right? I don't yeah. Know. So the march continues. And this is mm. why people are like, don't value the audits or think the audits aren't valuable. And this is what gets people... Soon it's going to be, they're going to be the ones breaking up. Right. Yeah. Well, because when, when an audit is just a check the box activity and there's not a lot of oversight, you're going to get partners and firms that just do the checking the box and they don't really audit. It's just a matter of form and they cut corners and it's going to get worse. I think that we're going to have a lot more audit failures. And maybe this is why EY and Deloitte are talking about splitting off audit because they see it coming. I mean, these are smart people. The people in consulting are the smartest, right? So, so for the, the next te- five to six years, there's going to be just a domino of crappy books that were not audited properly. Well, th- think about it. It has to be, right? Because there's a huge talent shortage. It's getting worse. And most of these firms there's haven't adopted- things like the SPACs. Right. right. So there aren't, enough people, there, there aren't enough people to do audits properly according to the rules and the standards. And there's not technology implemented yet. We're seeing some tech come out to do this stuff, but it's going to take a long time for that to permeate. So you're going to have talent shortages. And what's going to happen is managers and partners and directors are going to start cutting corners because they get back the the work paper. It doesn't, you know, like they just skip it, right? They'll just skip stuff because it's not possible to get the audit done without skipping, without cutting corners. And so, yeah, it is... I, you know, Francine McKenna was on the Oh My Fraud podcast for an interview that I highly recommend everyone listen to. She's an expert on auditors and fraud and audit quality. And she said, this is the golden age of fraud. If you want to commit fraud, financial statement fraud right now, this is the best time ever. It's an endorsement. <laughs> right. Which is crazy to think about. Crazy to think about that. We also have to think, do, do people really care? That's the question. Is do investors well, I guess it's really good then. care? If, if, if chances are a lot of the books are cooked across the board, it's good that investors don't use the books anyways to make investment decisions. <laughs> so then the I question, can't. then it's this question. Why are you cooking the books? Like, why do you need, if, if people aren't going to, they're not making investments based on your cooked books, then why even cook the books at all? Well, that's a good question. I guess because like, if you do have bad earnings, then yeah, that will tank your stock price. So the goal is just to keep showing positive earnings. The earnings, yeah. Yeah. Even if that's not the primary, it's, it, it can hurt you. It's not going to necessarily help you, right? I do have so, something good news from the big four. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you How about I hold you, I hold you on okay. that and I want to do a listener mail because oh, we perfect. got an email from a listener. So Dan, this is from Dan. He's a CPA. He said, Blake, in episode 281, you covered the raid of Alliant Group or Alliant Group. I should say. You asked listeners to write in if we do employee retention credits and see competitors who don't seem to be doing it the right way. Oh boy, do we ever. I'm seeing it constantly and hear plenty of examples from other practitioners. The level of ERC fraud going on now will make problematic R&D claims of the past look like child's play. The credit is so much larger than R&D and businesses are hungry for more relief money after they all got PPP. The number of shops with aggressive and dishonest marketing is astounding. I have clients tell me they receive multiple calls and emails weekly for these services. 
Most promise big relief money before they even get to know the company itself. Certain shops even argue that every business in the country qualifies, all while charging big contingent fees of 10 to 35% of this found money. Aggressive and downright fraudulent ERC shops are causing major headaches for practitioners caught in the middle. The FOMO among business owners is real. Everyone wants the money, but doesn't understand why their buddy at the, gold co- at the golf course got it when they don't qualify. Sadly, clients can't discern a reputable provider from a poor one and are left angry when their CPA tells them they shouldn't have taken the free money. Thank you, Dan, for that. That's what I was suspecting. And I think that's what our listeners are seeing. And I feel like I've seen a lot of rumblings either post on Twitter and things like that where people are like, can we just call it what it is, which is a scam or it's fraud? But I think I, I definitely think I saw at the ACP Engage conference, there was two or three vendors there that are in this ga- that game. Yeah. You know? Well, and they're doing- accountants do these calculations and, um, yeah, or, or and offering it as like an automated way to do these calculations and getting these credits. Yeah. Uh, there's startups being launched around this. And we talked about this where- you know, the, this is, so the, the ERC, the employee retention credit, you get it through payroll tax filings, right? And you claim it with your payroll tax filing, and then it comes to you as a credit. Like you get a check from the IRS and the IRS is doing so many of these. There's zero chance. I mean, not zero, but a very, very low chance that any of this will ever get audited. And so that's why you have the best time to do a fraud. Exactly. It's the golden age of best fraud. Time to cre- that may be the episode title. The best well, time to commit accounting fraud is now. <laughs> and we're talking, we, we like to talk about PPP fraud and we highlight the best ones. And I think I've got some more that we could talk about this week. And, you know, the, the problem with all that is like, that's just tip of the iceberg, right? When you look at how much PPP fraud there was, like it could be more than a hundred billion dollars. We're talking bigger than like one of the biggest frauds in U.S. history is PPP, just in aggregate. Well, that's how, that, but the money got out there in the economy. And now it, get, it got out so well that everybody's hooked on it. People want more. Now they're doing more frauds to get well, more money. Yeah, I wonder how much of inflation was caused simply by like fraud money getting out into the economy. That's part of what I'm wondering. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by FreshBooks. Recently, I chatted with Twyla Verhelst, director of the accountant channel over at FreshBooks, because I wanted to see what they've been up to. For those who don't know, FreshBooks was the first accounting software I used as a freelance bookkeeper back in 2011, so I've been really curious to see what's new. Turns out, a few years ago, FreshBooks launched a new platform that is now more than just invoicing. FreshBooks is now a full general ledger with financial reports, bank feeds, and journal entries. FreshBooks also has your favorite app integrations, even some embedded ones like Gusto for payroll. And with the launch of their new accounting partner program, Twyla and the FreshBooks team are creating a platform and a partner experience that's showcasing that they're really listening to our feedback. If you want to learn about the benefits of working better together with FreshBooks, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash FreshBooks. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash F-R-E-S-H-B-O-O-K-S. Speaking of, there was another celebrity couple that was indicted. Actually, they were found guilty on federal charges, including bank fraud and tax evasion. This is Todd and Julie Chrisley, stars of the reality television show Chrisley Knows Best. They were found guilty in Atlanta on federal charges. What did they do? There's they, a high <laughs> ratio of people with reality TV shows committing tax fraud, I think. Like they're like much higher than other professions. Either they get audited more or they just do dumb shit more. I don't understand it. What's amazing is that their show is all about how successful they are. But apparently all of that success was based on loan fraud. They took out over $30 million in fraudulent loans from community banks and didn't file taxes and all this stuff. And they were using that money to fund a lifestyle that then attracted the TV producers to make this show about how successful they are. And Fake it till they, you make it. They've or... been on TV for like nine years. They were just renewed by USA for a 10th season. The Chris Lee Knows Best show. And they have a spinoff, Growing Up Chris Lee, featuring the Chris Lee kids living in Los Angeles. That was renewed by E! for a fourth season. Yeah. And they've been found guilty. They could go to jail for 
what was it? How many years? They should have hired easier accounting to do their stuff. Those guys have guns <laughs> that could have protected them from being arrested. Amazing, right? So, But did I see correctly with these Chrisleys that their accountant got indicted as well? Yeah, the accountant was helping them. So, now, was this yeah, an accountant that was like hired internally by them that's part of their corporation or was this like a their third-party accountant that was... Uh, so his name is Tarantino. Of course. <laughs> yeah, Peter Tarantino. He, he was hired by the couple and he was found guilty of conspiracy to defraud the United States and willfully filing false tax returns. The sentencing is October 6th. So they're all free on bond and they're going to get sentenced on October 6th. So that's why I don't know how many years they're going to get. But So he wasn't deceived. He knowingly knew they were full of shit. And yeah, he was helping them out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So he was part of this whole scheme for a long time. And they were doing stuff like cutting and pasting numbers and amounts like to make fake bank statements. They created, like to get loans, they they created fake bank statements and submitted those to show assets like for collateral and all this stuff that didn't exist. I mean, they were really going all out with this. Just a total fraud. And you wonder sometimes like about the due diligence on the part of these banks, right? They're just accepting... They're accepting bank statements, like scans of bank statements from the client to give out these massive loans. And they're not they're not checking, like go, go ask, right? Go like just do a do a bank confirmation. You're a bank. Go ask the other bank. Well, like, is I, there an account? They probably get caught up in the celebrity. Yeah. We are it's that common. Oh, these celebrities walked in. They must be good. I've watched their yeah. show on TV. It must be real. The reality is real. <laughs> you know? I don't know. Walters Kluwer and KPMG are collaborating on a content platform. Content so, platform? Yeah, like so what I think kind we've talked about this platform? before. Like Wolters Kluwers has their CCH Answer Connect. It's like a tax resource platform. And I think they recently opened it up to like a wider audience or something. I, I think I remember us covering that in the past. But now they're going to host content from KPMG's Tax News Flash, which is essentially um, content that's authored by the Big Four's uh, Washington National Tax Professionals who are experienced in drafting tax laws and regulations. So if you're already a subscriber to CCH Answer Connect, you can now access all the KPMG tax newsflash stuff right inside your um, CCH accounting research manager thing. So I guess in a way, like KPMG is giving back here, but I'm sure there's some big old fear. There's some money probably being involved, <laughs> but you know, that's, that's like, so knowledge, KPMG's knowledge, I guess, is now going to be shared with other professionals that need it. I just thought that was, you know, yeah. we're not only bashing. Yeah. Let's see good stuff. <laughs> hey, I've got some follow-up on ESG. Yes. Environmental, social, and governance reporting. So I've been trying to bone up on this, learn more about it. Because, hey, I'll admit, sometimes, David, you and I talk about stuff on this podcast, and we really haven't done like a ton of homework. It's our hot take. So whenever we do that, I then try to, in future weeks, clarify or understand better. Yeah, our hearts take, um, yes, they, they Yeah, sometimes they drag they're right. on. They drag sometimes on. they're right. Sometimes they're a little off. Well, I think we actually had a good hot take on ESG because I ran across this story, this uh, piece in Harvard Business Review by Robert Kaplan and Karthik Ramana. And the headline is, we need better carbon accounting. Here's how to get there. And essentially what these authors are saying is that the, the main GHG, greenhouse gas accounting standard, is like fundamentally flawed. The one that we were talking about in our previous show. So recall how the SEC is proposing to now mandate disclosure of greenhouse gas emissions by public companies. And there are three stages of disclosure. Stage one is direct emissions. Stage two is indirect emissions from purchased electricity. And then stage three, which is the one that blew my mind, is all indirect and direct upstream and downstream emissions, which caused me to say, how is this even going to be possible? How could you possibly know what all the emissions are from all the inputs to your company, all the products, all the materials you buy? everything you buy, and then everything you sell all the way to the end of the product life cycle. It's going to be impossible. And these guys basically say in this article, yes, it is impossible to measure scope three emissions. It's not feasible. They say, quote, most companies know only a few of their non-tier one suppliers and customers well enough to get meaningful data from them. Yet the protocol 
expects companies with diverse product lines to gather emissions data from all their multiple tier customers and suppliers for each line, a fiendishly complex task. The near impossibility of measuring scope three emissions forced the protocol standard setters to allow companies the option to use industry and regional averages rather than measure the specific emissions produced by their actual suppliers, distributors, and customers. So they're using averages, industry and regional averages, right? Continuing, quote, although the protocol expresses a preference for primary data, it allows the use of secondary data when primary data may not be available or may not be of sufficient quality. And so think about this. If they're allowing the use of industry averages, so this is the problem with then ESG is it's not going to be like really all that useful because it's just an average of the industry. So how do you how do you compare different companies in the same industry that are all reporting scope three emissions when they're just using the average for their industry? It's meaningless data. Yeah, I, I think and yet the, here um, we are moving. And this is this by this way this has been around for like 20, 30 years. This standard now, and so what we're going to end up with in this march toward this type of reporting is just like a lot of work for companies, extra work for accountants and auditors, and it's not really going to tell us much as consumers. Yeah. So popular.info, I don't know if you've ever seen this site or uh, familiar with this. It's a independent press. They, they take no advertising. So like you sign up, you pay, but because they take no advertising, they're not beholden to corporations, et cetera. So they had, he had an article come out on June 9th, the multi-trillion dollar greenwashing industry, right? And the article really talks about these ESG funds, right? So there's stock funds starting to pop up where like, hey, everything we invest in is clean, right? Or Yeah, yeah. These have been around for a little right? while now, yeah. Little while. yeah. Trillions of dollars have flowed into these funds the last few years. And one of the big uh, pumpers of this has been uh, BlackRock. They have these funds, except for here's the crazy thing. They don't conduct their own analysis. They outsource it to another company. <laughs> so, so they just outsource to another company. And then this other company, they, their ratings don't, quote unquote, don't measure a company's impact on the earth and society. Rather, their ratings measure the potential impact of the world and the company and its shareholders. The potential company, the potential impact of the company. On the, yes, on the, 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 the impact of the world on the companies and its shareholders. So it's, the, it's like the opposite, right? Instead of measuring, Blake, Blake, you are a polluter. Right. I'm going to measure your pollution, Blake. Instead, they're measuring, what is the world's pollution going to do to impact Blake? The risk on me. Yes. Yeah. So, so it's well, just that's, like- That's always been the two different parts of ESG, right? One is we measure the negative external- outputs of a company, like the, the pollution they cause, the social problems they cause, right? All this stuff. And then the other is, which is actually more useful for investors, is like, what's the impact of climate change on on this company? So when I invest in it, I know what the risks are. Yeah. So you're saying that they're only considering the, the the external risks to the company. Yeah. And then they, they, and this is all game playing, this greenwashing, right? So McDonald's, yeah. you know, who has more greenhouse gas emissions in 2019 than other countries like Portugal, right? Yeah. They had actually increased, but they actually got a decreased score because, you know, apparently they installed recycle bins at an unspecified number of locations in France and the UK. So their score got better. Like this was really great. And I think it's just starting to, the awareness of this is just starting to happen. And it's kind of funny, right? It's like, just as it's exploding, the ACPA is pumping it. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. And they were talking about it yeah. at Engage. I know we're not supposed to talk about Engage, <laughs> but yeah, they were talking about how this is the future. But like, there was no mention of the fact that uh, CPAs don't get the audit monopoly on ESG, yeah. right? The SEC. <laughs> it's a, so ESG means, I think the problem is, I don't have a problem with ESG. I just have a problem with the fact that it means something different to everyone you ask. There is no common definition for it. And I don't think it's possible because it's so broad. It's hard to count. It's very, very hard to count. Yeah. Well, and like, here's, here's something that kind of points to the ridiculous nature of it. Russia's war prompts a pitch for socially responsible military stocks. This is an article in the New York Times talking about how two Citibank analysts, two analysts from Citi are arguing 
that the height of social responsibility at this moment requires putting your investment money into the stocks of companies that make weapons to defend Ukraine from Russia. Now, weapons are typically not something that people would include in ESG funds, right? Weapons manufacturers, like, does that sound like ESG to you, David? Probably not. Um, But the argument can be made that, you know, people are making the argument that, hey, it should be because you need weapons to defend a democracy from Russia. So you could could really argue all of it can be, because in the same way, um, Al Gore, he like justified his private jet, right? <laughs> like everybody can like justify all their environmental damage back to oh, but in the bigger picture, if we didn't do that, we could not solve this other picture. I don't know. Yeah, right. Yeah, like so. I'll, the the justification for the jet is I got to fly around the world to promote reduction of greenhouse gases. So in the end, I will reduce more greenhouse gases than I emit. But that's all yes. that's all speculation. That, that, you don't know that. That's that's you know, that's and it, so it just shows like anybody can manipulate this, right? I think that's the problem. Like I so I am in favor though of like if you wanna well let's think let's take a step back and think about this. If we really want to reduce greenhouse gases, if we want to do something about global warming, which I agree with, I think we should, isn't the best way to do it just to like limit the amount of greenhouse gases that we emit? Well, see, New Zealand's trying to do that. <laughs> well, not really, though. They're just taxing. They're taxing the methane emissions. David, tell us what they're doing. Okay, so Heather Smith, down in uh, our, our correspondent down under, she sent us an article, and well, I'll read the headline. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. New Zealand to price sheep and cow burps to cut greenhouse gases. <laughs> they didn't say farts. They could have said farts, because I think most of it's farts. And some background. But- New Zealand has 5 million people but they have about 10 million cattle and 26 million sheep. Right. And it is their biggest source of greenhouse gas, those sheep and cattle that just belch, apparently. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have farmers pay for those emissions. But here's the, the tricky part of this. And this is, I think, the, deeper in the article, the real thing that's happening here. This is like a scam, right? This is being pushed by probably big pharma, or not big pharma, but big farming, right? Big um, ag. Big Ag. The proposal includes incentives for farmers who reduce emissions through feed additives. So you got to go buy some special dust to put on the food when you feed it to your sheep and your cattle. Makes them fartless? To, I guess. And then- are, are, Is this like giving them like anti-gas medication yeah. or something? And then of course, so you're running your, uh, the revenue from the scheme will be invested in research and development and advisory services for farmers. So instead yeah. of you letting the farmer run their farm to their own ability, you're going to tell them how to run their farm, tax them if they don't listen, so you can put that money into re-educating the farmers. <laughs> like it's they, this is they, getting it, big and it's funny. Scary. I love how in other countries they call these tax plan things schemes. I love it. Like yeah, that's the well, default. It has a negative scheme. connotation. Yes. Yeah, but there it doesn't. So, wow. but they're doing so, that, you know, but, to stop global warming. So. Well, so this is not finalized, I think. Like, this is a proposed- It's a draft plan. It's, it's a draft, draft plan. plan. So, And in the past, I, I read that in the past, this has not been popular. Because think about it. What's going to happen if you raise the price, if you charge farmers more for their sheep and cattle, they're going to raise the price of the meat and the the outputs of that, with the wool, all that stuff, right? So it's going to raise prices. And is like now a good time to be raising the price of meat? Probably not. So- and then, like, and how do you measure this? Because last time I checked, right, New Zealand's super green. Like, isn't just covered with green, like yeah, grass yeah. and trees and everything. Well, a lot of that's there because the excrement from all this cattle and sheep, right? So, oh yeah, like so, all so the doesn't, manure. So, so doesn't all the green of the island that is benefiting from all these cattle and sheep that's producing oxygen allowed to offset this? Yeah. Well, you're you're allowed to offset, I think, some of your cost if you. Do forestry on your ranch. On your ranch, yep. I guess that's part of the idea. But I wonder about the the benefit of this. Like, what will actually be the outcome of this? Because agriculture is like eleven percent of all methane emissions, I think, and methane is not the major carbon, not the major like greenhouse gas. Car- CO two is. So, like, is this really like going to help? Is this really going to move the needle? And I think it feel maybe it feels good, 
But New Zealand, like when in the big scheme of things, is so small, it's not. It's not going to move the needle. Like what you really need to do is reduce emissions from developing countries. That's the way to do, like China and India. Yeah, I, I think I think it's just this like we're just reaching to control more things and try yeah. to measure things, but it's all in the same ESG march. It's yeah. all related. I don't know. If, I don't know. <sighs> it, it, everybody thinks they know what the future is going to be. I think they have it nailed down. But my understanding is that, that book, and I'll have to go pull it off the shelf and look at it. But you know, um, Bill Gates has that book, The Road Ahead. Yeah. And that book came out just right before the internet hit. And that book basically does not acknowledge the existence of the internet. <laughs> right? Like, right. Like, like, so the smartest guy in the room, in theory, who, if anybody would know the internet's coming, did not have that kind of in his book of the future ahead. He right. kind of was predicting right. it's going to be like his MSN TV and AOL and that. Like, he did not. In the internet, as we know it, the concept that did not exist in Bill Gates' book that he wrote basically two and a half years before the internet hit. Like, so do we believe everybody that's as smart? I don't know. I don't know. Well, and and the, the issue with the SG2 is we're picking stuff to measure now. Will that be the thing that we need to be reducing in 10 years? Is that the thing that, like, is... Is that the thing that is going to make a difference? Oh, there are different poisons going to kill us in the future. We just don't well, know what it is yet. <laughs> like the thing is, it's not all greenhouse gases that we're measuring. There's five, you know, like that the SEC has identified. So it's only five. So, will, you know, will that pivot people to emitting other gases or like, you know what I mean? It's opportunity like, cost. Like you it's said, all opportunity cost. It's hard to know what's going to end up. It's hard to know the future. So is any of this going to make a difference? I don't know. Well, apparently um, the IRS is predicting the future a little bit. They're going to raise the 2022 standard mile deduction as oh, of July yeah, yeah. 1st. Then that's unusual that they do this like mid-year yep. because of the high cost of gas. So what's it going up to? It is going to the business from 58.5 cents to 62.5, moving medical from 18 to 22 and charitable from 14 to, well, that's staying the same, to 14. And obviously they're predicting the future. They think that the cost of gas it's not going down anytime soon, and they're trying to mm-hmm. account for that properly. Well, David, I think that's all the time we've got for this week. David, if people want to get in touch with you online, where can they do that? I'm on all the socials, at David Leary. I am at Blake T. Oliver. You can shoot me an email at Blake at BlakeOliver.com. Let us know what you think about the show, the topics we've discussed. Are we out of our minds? Are we on to something? What I want to hear from you is for everybody to go leave a review on either Apple Podcasts or Podchaser and talk about how this is the best accounting press they've ever came across in the industry. And use the word accounting press. Accounting press. Or hardworking press. Use words like that. Working press, right? I guess we don't work. I, I don't really feel like I work when I do this show with you, David. It feels fun. It's all the prep, though, that does feel it is a lot of work to to prep for this show. Well, well, we didn't, because we weren't there as working press, we didn't do any work. I didn't roll right. into the keynotes at 7 a.m. I didn't take notes. That was nice not to have to do that. Yeah. yeah. Real press has to do that. Working press. So we didn't work. We didn't work. kind of had uh, fun. <laughs> you can send us your voicemails. You can send us a voice memo, Blake at BlakeOliver.com. We love those. We play those on the air. You've probably heard them before. And David, yeah, until next week, have a good one. All right. Time for the classifieds. If you're looking to quickly grow a scalable, systematic seven-figure accounting firm without having to work 50 plus hours per week, check out Ryan Lozanis' online coaching membership, Future Firm Accelerate. Sign around Ryan's experience taking his cloud firm from scratch to sale so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You'll get online learning and topics that help you automate and systemize all aspects of your firm. You'll get coaching when you need help with implementation. And you'll also join a collaborative community of hundreds of other forward-thinking firm owners. For more details, head over to www.futurefirmaccelerate.com. Tired of clients not remembering to get W9s? Get W9 automates and streamlines the collection and storage of W9s. Get W9 has a QBO integration, and they have a partner program that pays 25% commissions. Get W9 plans start at only $19 a year. Visit getw9.tax today to get started. That is getw9.tax. Are you looking for a dream job in cloud accounting? We have the job for you. Advisors for Change delivers cloud accounting systems to small and medium nonprofit organizations. 
Join our team of friendly and collaborative nonprofit accounting professionals while working from home. Our systems associate will join our experienced systems manager to implement and support cloud accounting systems such as QBO, Bill.com, Divi, SaskNet, and others. To learn more, head to our website at advisorsforchange.com slash join-our-team. That's advisorsforchange.com slash join-our-team. We'll find a link to the full position description on Indeed. Are you ready to take your life and bookkeeping business to the next level? Are you aspiring to start your own bookkeeping business? Then hop on over to the Ambitious Bookkeeper podcast where you'll find encouragement, support, tools, resources, practical strategies, and actionable tips on starting, growing, and running a successful bookkeeping firm. Plus, listen to guest expert interviews that will help you elevate your business and enhance your life. Go to ambitiousbookkeeper.com slash podcast and subscribe now. That's ambitiousbookkeeper.com slash podcast. Are your bookkeeping clients driving you crazy asking the same questions over and over? They need QuickBooks training and you have more important things to do with your time. Let RoyalWise be your training partner. Create your own customized client training program and outsource your QuickBooks training department. Listeners of this podcast are invited to join our partner program and receive a 10% referral commission when you sign up. Join us at royalwise.com slash partner to learn more and get started today. Again, that's royalwise.com slash partner. Are you a tech-savvy accountant that knows how to lead a team and loves interacting with clients? Are you looking to grow from a controller or CFO into a leadership role? ResolveWorks is hiring a director of client accounting to lead our services team and be a key member of our firm leadership. We are a collaborative team serving entrepreneurs building fast-growing startups. We are fully remote, offer flexible schedules, and have a suite of attractive benefits. To learn more and submit your interest, visit resolve-works.com slash careers. That is resolve-works.com slash careers. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.